were to randomly go throughout our country and just grab eight or ten people from all over and just bring them in here this morning and stand them in a line, and if I were to ask you where they were from, you'd really have no idea. But if you wanted to find out where they were from, there's one simple thing that we could ask them to do that would give you an idea, right? And that's to just have them say a few words. Because our speech patterns reflect where we're from. And so if it's a twang or whether it's a drawl or whether it's an accent or whatever, we would say, oh, well, this person maybe is from this area of the country or this person's from this area of the country or this person's from another area of the country. It all depends on our dialects or accents, the way that we say things. And sometimes it's not just the way that we say things. Sometimes it's actually the phrases and the idioms and the things that we say. The New York Times a while ago had an interactive quiz online where they would ask you questions about phrases or or what you called things, and you worked through this series of 25 questions, and at the end, they would try to guess where you were from. And so the questions were things like this. How do you address a group of two or more people? Do you say, you all? Do you say, yous? Do you say, you guys? Do you say, you all? Or do you say, you? And you'd answer that question and go on to the next one. What do you call the little bug that rolls up in a ball when you touch it? Is it a doodle bug? Is it a potato bug? A pill bug? A roly-poly? A sow bug? You guys are answering these in your mind, aren't you? Okay. What do you call a sweet and carbonated beverage? Is it a soda? Is it pop? Is it a tonic? Coke? Or do you just call it a soft drink? Do you put frosting or icing on a cake? What do you call the sale of unwanted items? Is that a yard sale, a rummage sale, a garage sale, a tag sale, a thrift sale, or in my opinion, a garbage pickup? (laughs) But you go through this and you answer these 25 questions, and at the end, they they, they guess three cities that you might be from. And so I took this quiz, and at the end, one of the guesses was that I was from Rockford, Illinois. So evidently, I speak like a Rockfordian. Is that a word? And then the second guess was that I was from Grand Rapids, Michigan, which I happened to be born there. And then the third guess was that I was from Detroit, Michigan. So um, evidently, I have got the words down for this region of the country. Now, I was disappointed, though, that there was a couple words they didn't ask about. Like, do you say pillow or pillow? Because I say pillow. And uh, I don't know why, but everybody reminds me of that. Anytime I say it, what did you just say? I said, pillow. You know, the thing that's just sleep on with your head. The other thing like that too is I refer to that thing above us as the roof. And some people insist that it's the roof. But I say it's the roof, all right? My last name is Woods. Like, it's got the double O in there too. My name is Brent Wood. It is not Brent Wood, okay? That's why we don't have a roof over our head. We have a roof over our heads. But the way that we speak tells something about us. We were on a missions trip several years ago out in New England, which, of course, in New England, they use a lot of these different phrases. And we we're talking about that. They don't call it pop. Um, they call it a lot of times uh, soda. If you get right into Boston, they call it tonic. And uh, we were near Boston on this trip, and, uh, and like they don't call them sub sandwiches, they call them not hoagies, they call them 
Grinders, yes. And uh, so some of the guys that I was with on this trip, they, they got playing with this, and they started making up words that we would use. And back then I was living in Indiana, and they, they would say, well, this is what we say in Indiana. What do you guys call this? And so one of them pulled out a, a fork, and they said, now, what do you call this? And they're like, a fork? And he's like, really? Yeah, what do you call it? Well, we call them stabbers. And so he grabs a spoon, and he's like, what's this? And they're like, well, that's a spoon. And he's like, a what? A spoon? What do you call it? Oh, that's a scooper. And of course, the knife was a cutter, and they're just looking at us like, are these people for real? And it was all a game that we played. But it just brings us to this idea that our conversation reveals the way that we speak tells other people about us, about maybe where we're from, but also about who we are or in the case of what we're looking at today, who we happen to follow and to associate with. And so we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4 today, if you want to get there a little bit ahead of me. So far in this series, we've been looking at what different people have been saying about how you speak. And so we started the first week with Jesus, what he had to say about what we say. And then we, the second week, we looked at what James had to say about what we say. Last week, Mark talked about what Solomon had to say about what we say. And today, we're going to look at what Paul had to say about what we have to say. And so, if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul addresses this topic. And he says this in verse number 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such is as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so Paul is making the simple statement, the way that you talk matters. Don't let corrupting speech come out of your mouth, but say the things that are helpful to people that build them up, that give grace to these people. And this is certainly a key point that Paul is making. But this verse shows up in a larger context and in a passage that surrounds it. And so there's actually a bigger factor at play in this. And this is an example that Paul is using of a bigger idea or a bigger concept. And so I want to grab onto this bigger concept because it matters to us. And so we'll step back for a minute this morning. And then we're going to step right back in, back to this narrow idea of what are we saying, or what are you saying. So, to get some context, some idea of what's going on here, when Paul gives us this verse, we go back to verse number 17 in Ephesians chapter 4, and Paul says this, Now I say this, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And he is talking about people who are outside of the faith. And he's saying, that's who you used to be, and that's not a good thing. But Christ has come into your life and into your story, and so that has changed you. And so there should be a change that's evident and obvious to people around you. Verse number 20, see, this way is not how you learn Christ. Assuming that you've learned about him or taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God 
in true righteousness and holiness. And so what Paul is saying here is when we start a relationship with Jesus Christ, there are going to be changes that take place. And that's the point of it. He's going to change different things about us. He's going to change our desires. He's going to change our thinking. He's going to change some of our behavior. And he's going to actually change the way that we talk. And so what he does following these verses, Paul goes through and gives us some examples of changes that we should see in our lives. In verse number 25, he says, you used to tell lies. The change now is that you should be telling the truth. In verse number 26, you used to lose your cool, fly off the handle, you know, blow your top. Now you should be dealing with things in a controlled manner, and even if they do get out of hand, you should come back and resolve those things. So that's a change. In verse number 28, it says you used to steal, but now you need to work for what you get. And that's a change as well. And then he gets to verse 29, and that's the verse that we read to start with this morning. He said, you used to say things that you shouldn't say. That should be changed now. And you should be saying things that are different or helpful or beneficial to people. And so the big point that Paul's making here is simply this in this verse. Your words are a reflection of your faith. If you are a Christ follower, it should change the way that you act, change the way that you think, but it also should change the way that you talk. And so somebody should be able to listen to you talk and say, oh, he's a Christ follower. Just like somebody can listen to me talk and say, oh, he's from Detroit. And so this is the point that Paul's making. Your words are a reflection of your faith, and your faith should inform your words. So if... I am who I'm supposed to be, and if I'm growing in my faith like I'm supposed to grow, that's going to affect the way that I talk, the words that I use, the types of conversations that I have, the subjects of those conversations. Because our faith informs our words. And so as a Christ follower, I should be choosing my words carefully because, and actually somewhat my words choose me because I can't separate them from my faith. And when it gets separated from my faith, when I claim one thing and my words reveal another thing, something's out of bounds and something's out of whack. And so that's the point that Paul's making here. In verse number 22, he says it this way, to put off your old self, the things that I shouldn't be saying. Verse number 24, to put on my new self, the things that I should be saying, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And that's important for us, though, because he sets a pattern when he says it that way. Get rid of, add to, lose this, put this into play over here. So let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That's put off. But only such as is good for building up. That is put on. This fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And it leads us to this point. It's not enough to stop saying what you shouldn't. And most of us get this. Okay, I'm supposed to say the right thing, so I'm just not going to say what I shouldn't say. And and that's, that's, you know, commendable. But that's only half of the story. And what Paul says here is not only should you not say what you shouldn't say, you need to start saying what you should say. 
And most of us are pretty good at looking and saying, well, no, I don't know, I'm not supposed to say those types of things. But we don't give much thought to or much intentionality to this idea that there are things I should be saying and that I should be adding to my conversation on a regular basis. You ever heard that statement, if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all? According to Paul, that's a false statement. See, if I can't see anything good, I need to keep thinking about that until I can come up with something good to say. And if I can't say something good about this, I can at least speak good to this situation. It's not that we just leave off the bad stuff. It's that we add on the good stuff here. And it's because of something that we call the replacement principle. And this is coming from, you know, God to the Holy Spirit to Paul as he's writing this. But it's a simple idea is that if I want to change a behavior in my life, I don't just try to stop. Because I can stop for a while, but what I did is I left an empty space in my life here, and eventually the temptation is going to get strong enough, and I'm going to slide right back into that empty space and fill it back up. So instead of trying to stop things in our lives, we need to plan instead to start things in our lives, and those things become replacements. And we, we recognize this in other areas. For instance, if, if I am going to try to cut out junk food from my diet, I'm not going to snack on junk food anymore, and I can just say I'm, never, I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, what happens, though, is I eventually get hungry, and I eventually wander over to the refrigerator, and I eventually open up the refrigerator, and what's in there, you know, whatever the junk is, you know, maybe it's the freezer, and you pull out the ice cream or whatever, if we're, if we're going to win that battle... It's making sure that we have some healthy stacks that are stored in that refrigerator. So when I'm like, oh, I'm hungry, I walk over there, I open it, and there's my giant cauliflower waiting for me, right? But that's the idea. Uh, You know, we do this. Well, sometimes like, well, I'm going to, I'm spending too much time on social media, so I'm going to get rid of social media. Great. But what are you going to do to fill that time? Because if you're sitting there just doing nothing, eventually it's like, well, I guess I'm going to check Facebook. What else is there to do? So anything in life, if we really want to see change, it's not just stopping, it's adding. And that's what Paul is saying in this place here is, you know what? It's not just stopping the bad speech things. It's that we actually intentionally put new things in place. So if I tend to be a critic... I replace that with the fact that I look for ways to find positives and so I can express appreciation or, or, or commendations. Or if, and we said it earlier, if, if you know, I have a trouble with lying here, I'm going to work on saying things that have to do with the truth. So let's pause for a second and think about what Paul's actually saying in this verse that we looked at, verse 29. He said, let's put off or let's get rid of these corrupting words. And that's what we're getting rid of. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but we're going to use words that build up there. Now, corrupting, let's talk about that word to start with. You're reading this morning, if you're using the, the U version, and, and uh, this morning, the word that's used there is corrupting. If you're using a um, New International Version, it probably says unwholesome. If you're using a King James Version, it probably says corrupt. The, the English Standard Version has a really good translation here when it says corrupting. It's words that not just are corrupt, but they have a, a, a fallout. So you say the word and it continues to have impact or continues to have effect. 
So it's bad in that it's corrupt, but it's bad in that it's corrupting, and then it extends beyond just the time and space when that word was said. The actual literal Greek word there means rotten. So you picture this of food that's rotted. What is, it, what is the effect that it has on food around it? It starts to rot. We came home to our house back a, a few weeks ago, and my wife said, does it smell kind of bad in here? And I'm like, yeah, I think so too. And so we, we started checking to see what the deal was, right? So you, uh, you check the trash can. No, the trash, you know, you're in there smelling your trash. What a weird thing that you do. But no, it doesn't smell like that. And then, you know, it's like, oh, well, what, what else could it be? So you check out the garbage disposal next, right? So you got your face down in the sink and smelling that. And then we opened the fridge. And we found the location. We just had to find the source. And we eventually discovered it was the leftover quinoa. Are you guys familiar with quinoa? Quinoa is like high-protein rice with half the flavor, if that's possible. But we found the quinoa. I was like, ooh, this is, this is going here. Now, fortunately, it was in a Rubbermaid tub, and so it was pretty much contained. But when we have the, what Paul is saying here is we're not careful with our words and if they're corrupting, they start to spread and it starts to impact in wider and wider circles. So what are these corrupting words? And let's just take a minute here to talk through some of our words that Paul would describe as rotten or as corrupting. We could start with the first category here, just inferred from this verse, in that he says we should be adding words that are building. So words that are rotten would be any words that are tearing down. Or I would use this word diminishing. And there's a lot of words that we use or types of words that are diminishing words. For instance, criticism. When I criticize somebody, when I say I don't like the way that that person did that, I am diminishing them. I'm knocking them down a few pegs. Gossip is another word, or, or another type of thing that we do that's diminishing. I, I am actually going after your reputation. And maybe we don't think of it that way, but when we say things like that, we are using diminishing words. Sarcasm would fit here. You know, nice, nice job. And, and the person knows you don't mean that. But what are you doing? You're pushing down, you're knocking down there. Diminishing words. Uh, insults. Put-downs, barbed humor, you know, where you make a joke and, and then you laugh and everybody knows that you didn't really say it to be funny. You said it to be mean, but if you can get the laugh in afterwards, it kind of lessens the effect. But you hope they got it still. That type of thing. Um, complaining, judgmentalism, ridicule. These are all what I would call positional words because we use them to elevate ourselves and to diminish somebody else. And Paul says these are corrupting words because they don't build up. And we should be using words that build up. Now, this isn't the, the only thing that Paul says about words. We already mentioned this, but if you back up to verse number 25, he had already said, therefore put away falsehood, let every one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So we have words of, of dishonesty or deception. And we need to get rid of these words, too, because they're corrupting. So this is when I tell a lie. This is also when I kind of tell a half-truth. This is when I exaggerate to make myself look good. Or this is when I embellish the story so that it, you know, it works out the way that I want it to work out here. This is when I blame shift, or this is when I misdirect 
because I'm trying to protect myself in the process. And here we have these dishonest words or these words of deception. And Paul calls them out and says, hey, these are corrupt. Let's not go here. But he's not done. So we've got that in verse number 25. We have what he says in verse number 29. And then in verse number 31, he actually goes on and gives us some more examples. So let's look at verse number 31. Paul says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. And this is an interesting list to me. Because some of these things are words and speech habits, and some of these things are actions. And some of these are attitudes. And so you get this funny mix, and actually I think it makes a good point, but we have this mix of attitudes and words that all mush together here because our words and our actions and our attitudes, they all kind of erupt in different ways at different times, but they all come from the same source. But notice that list that he gave there. He said, get rid of bitterness. That's resentment. Where it's hard for people to reconcile with you because you won't give them the break. Wrath. Some translations actually use the word rage there. Let all rage. That's when our bitterness is unleashed on somebody. Anger. That's when it just gets crazier. Clamor. This word literally means shouting. So those conversations you have that just don't go the way that you want them to, so you just keep getting louder and louder and louder (coughs) so that you can overwhelm somebody. Slander. It's a negative attacks on a person's characters. And they're actually all what I would call manipulative words. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, which if you've missed some of this series, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them online because I think there's some really important principles that we need in, in our world right now as far as speech goes. But these words here are what I would call angry words, but they're designed to help us gain an advantage over somebody else. And we talked about this two weeks ago when we were talking about how to have a a civil discourse or or, a disagreement with somebody. But we get bigger or louder or larger so that we can intimidate or so that we can get the other person to back off or to back down. And that's what shows up here. And when we do this, we are trying to, again, assert ourselves and insert ourselves into a higher position. I think maybe a better word to use for all of these is just the word rude. And all of us can be rude sometimes, can't we? And Paul's saying, guess what? That's rotten. That's corrupting. Stay away from it. Unfortunately, Paul still isn't done with his speech list here. We get down to verse number 32, and we put a period there and say, good, we're done with chapter 4. We can move on to new topics. But Paul was actually, in chapter 5, continuing on the same argument that he was making in chapter 4. And so if you look to chapter 5, I'm going to jump down to verse number 3. It says, but, on sex, uh, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. It is not proper among saints. And listen to this verse. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are also out of place, but let there instead be thanksgiving. And so we see inappropriate words. Filthiness, that would apply to words that are morally bereft. That would include profanity, obscenities, things that are just vulgar, profane, inappropriate there. Foolish talk. 
I like what one commentator, they, they use the words silly twaddle. But just the idea of empty words that are just like, what's the point? It's also interesting, though, that the word that's used there for uh, foolish talk means an easy turn of speech. And it's the idea that it can be flipped over, and it's things that have double meaning, innuendo, double and tender. And that's, that's probably what this is, is referring to. So it's a lot of the, the things that we say that have a second meaning to them that are not particularly appropriate. Crude joking refers to things that are crass or coarse or vulgar. And he says, hey, you need to get rid of those words too. And so he has quite the pile of words here to say, hey, these we need to be done with. Words that are diminishing, words that are deceitful, words that are angry or rude, words that are inappropriate. But he also gives us the list of here's how to replace these words. And we go back to verse number 32, and he says what? Become kind to one another, tenderhearted or compassionate, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. And keep reading into chapter 5. Therefore, become imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so he gives us a very simple list here. But maybe that's good. Because if we can just remember these four things to tackle even this next week, we're going to go a lot further down the road to speaking the way that God wants us to speak. First thing, kind words. Why is it so hard to be kind sometimes? I struggle with this. Do you? I'm frustrated. I'm irritated. Or, or I'm upset. And, and I lose my kindness. But if I'm reminded to speak kind words, I'm automatically going to cancel out the rude words that I might say over here. And so kindness should be the way that we speak. Now remember, the way that we speak reflects the faith that we have. So when I'm speaking kindness, it should be a signal to everybody that's listening in to say, oh, there's something different about that guy. So where you work or when you get together with your family or where you go to school or, or the neighborhood, are you known as the person who's got something kind to say? Because that's what the point here is, is that we represent our faith and we represent our relationship with Christ. Words of compassion. Caring about people. Empathy. Entering into their situation, listening enough to hear what's going on in their story so that you can respond in kind. Is that our reputation? The people that know us? Is that what they say about us? He's such a caring, kind, compassionate person. How about this? Forgiving. That's an interesting choice there because I'm not exactly sure how you say forgiving words, but the words that you say should reflect the fact that you're forgiving, which means that regardless of what you say to me, the words that I respond back to you with are not based on what you just said. Because even if you were rude, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to be forgiving and I'm going to give you back kind or compassionate or helpful words. Are beneficial words. And then in, in chapter 5 there he gives us this idea of loving. 
But what he says at the end of, of verse um, 29 is that we're supposed to use words that build up, words that are fitting, and words that give grace. He says this also, we looked at this a couple weeks ago in Colossians 4, 6, the same idea. The words that we use are to be gifts that we give to other people. Ever think about your conversation with somebody else as being your gift to them? The way that you talk, the words that you use, the content that you bring, those things are gifts to the people around you. They're gifts of grace, too. When I give you a gift, I don't give you a gift because you've earned it or because you deserve it. I give you a gift because I have chosen to value you and give you this gift. And a lot of times in our conversations, what we end up saying is just a response to what was said originally. And if we understand this idea of grace is... Grace always goes first. And so I am actually extending grace. Maybe I'm going first in the conversation. But even if you've been rude, I'm still going to extend. I'm going to be the first to go with grace or with kindness or with compassion. And it's that idea that I don't respond then to any in kind. I get out and I lead in kindness. I skipped over a verse and I want to catch it as as we finish up here this morning. It's verse number 30. And verse number 30 is actually attached to verse number 29. That word and there, grammatically, it goes back and connects with verse 29, which says, don't say rotten things or corrupting things. Instead, say things that are words of grace because we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. And it's this point that our words don't just affect others. They also impact the Holy Spirit. Our words don't just affect others. They also impact the Holy Spirit. Literally, that verse reads, Do not grieve the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And it's separated there to give extra emphasis to that word holy. And so when we say words that are diminishing or deceitful or angry or or improper and inappropriate, it's not just that we offend the people around us, which we do. We actually offend the God who gave us these tongues and mouths to use. We offend the Holy Spirit who may live in these other people's lives around us. We actually offend the Holy Spirit in how we are talking. And I'm not sure we ever stop to think about that. Sometimes we get, well, yes, that that hurt somebody's feelings or that probably wasn't the best thing to say to that person. It's not just that person that was affected by that. Paul is saying here, when you don't speak right, you offend the Holy Spirit. You offend His holiness. You offend the person that he is and the work that he's trying to do, which is what? To bring us together. And when we use the wrong words, what happens? We're pushed apart. And God said, you're undoing what I'm trying to do here in the church, in our relationships with people, 
in our marriages, and he's offended by that. And that should give us pause. Because sometimes I'm like, well, I know, I kind of ticked him off, but it needed to be said, right? Well, it wasn't just him. It was also the Holy Spirit. And are you okay with that attitude in that direction? The ultimate test of our words. There's two things that show up in this passage that I think we need to be asking ourselves constantly. The first question is, do my words give grace? Ephesians 4.29, that it may give grace to the person who hears. Are my words gifts to the people around me? Are my words gifts to my wife? Are my words gifts to my husband? Are my words gifts to my neighbor? Are my words gifts to the teacher or to my boss or to my child? Do they give grace? And the second test shows up in chapter 5, verse number 10, which is really where this whole passage wraps up. And without reading the verses in between, let me just read chapter, or verse number 10 of chapter 5. Paul says this, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's the second test. Are your words pleasing God? Several years ago, I went to a breakfast for sports chaplains. Uh, my brother worked as, as, as a chaplain for the uh, minor league baseball team in South Bend, and so he, I, I went with him to this uh, breakfast. And the speaker that day was a guy by the name of Craig Krenzel. I don't know if that name rings a bell. Um, he's actually from Sterling Heights, played for Ohio State, had a super, super successful uh, career at Ohio State as a quarterback. Sorry, I shouldn't have mentioned Ohio State in here when I'm talking about using words correctly. But anyhow, for all of you Michigan fans. But uh, anyhow, Craig Krenzel was the speaker at that breakfast that day. And he had gone to Ohio State. He'd gone on to the NFL, played some for the Bears. He bounced around a little bit and ended up on the Cincinnati Bengals. And Carson Palmer was the starting quarterback. And then John Kitna, which is a name familiar to a lot of Detroit Lions fans, was the second-string quarterback. And Craig Krenzel was the third-string quarterback. And after that, he injured his arm, and he never really came back and played any more NFL football. But he told a story of the day that he was out practicing with John Kitna. Well, Craig Krenzel was a believer, Christ follower, and so was John Kitna. But in the, in the context of football, in, in kind of the locker room talking, whatever like that, they were out there throwing around the football, and, and Craig Krenzel says, I was out there throwing around more than just the football. All the language was flying too. And if I didn't like a pass, I, you know, had a comment on that. And he said, I'm just throwing that football and I'm throwing out all the things. And Kitna looks at me and says, hey, Craig, what's with the words, dude? And he's like, what do you mean, what's with the words? So we talk. He said, aren't you a Christian? He's like, oh, wow. That's the question for all of us this morning. What's with your words? Because if I listen to you say this, I might know, hey, you're from Michigan or Detroit or maybe from Boston. But if I listen to just the conversations that you have throughout life, would I or anybody else be able to say, oh, now that guy is a Christ follower? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. 